Hello, and thank you for listening to our extended version of our discussion and debate about Boko Haram. I'm James Schneider, the editor of Think Africa Press, and today I'm fortunate to be joined in the studio by three experts on Boko Haram. We've got Raffaello Panchushi, Senior Research Fellow at the Royal United Services Institute, Bala Lehman, PhD candidate at the School of Oriental and African Studies, and Virginia Komoli, Research Associate for Transnational Threats at the International Institute of Strategic Studies. Thank you all for coming in. So, Raffaello, can you kick us off by giving us a bit of a t- brief timeline on Boko Haram, how it came about and how it's developed? So, I mean, Boko Haram, as we know it and see it today, in some ways first emerged in 2009 after their leader, uh, Mohamed Yusuf, was killed uh, by uh, Nigerian authorities. Um, however, the group itself seems to have existed for some time before this. Uh, various Nigerian government sources claim that the sect comes as far back as 1995, while others say that it really flourished uh, more after 2002. Um, however, it's really in 2009 that we start to see the group uh, really become what we saw today, and this was after the death of its leader. About a year after its leader died or its leader was killed in in Nigerian government custody. It seems to have erupted into a sort of spate of violence across uh, the country, um, which has included uh, suicide attacks and reports of links to other Al-Qaeda groups around Africa. Um, It has continued to evolve until uh, today, um, where we've seen... uh, Factions and sects seem to sort of divide off from it, in particular a group called Ansaru, which first really emerged in I think it was about 2012 um, and seems to have been a group which some have identified as maybe being closer to some of the Al-Qaeda and the Islamic Maghreb elements who sort of came down um, and they have sort of in they seem to be talking with a greater globalist rhetoric and seem to be talking more, uh, adopting more of a posture which is more reminiscent of sort of Al-Qaeda than Boko Haram, which has seemed sort of up until that moment a much more localized movement. Um, Bala, uh, so it's been, um, as uh, Raffaello says, more of a localized movement, Boko Haram, and it's been sort of intimately related with how the government has responded to us. We've you know, heard it really had its violent turn after the 2009 crackdown on on the group. Could you um, just give us a bit more information about this and give us your take? Uh, well, like Raphael said, um, the the group actually became more uh, violent and, and started attacking certain um, parts of the country after the death of its leader in 2009 um, in uh, police custody. And, and I think it's just sort of confirmed to the group that the government was actually against them. Mm. And what they did now was start to attack police stations and banks, probably for funding, and and that sort of escalated the, the level of violence that the group um, was carrying out. Um, and this hasn't changed, even um, as government has tried to clamp down on them. Uh, government um, um, in- increased its security funding um, under the last National Security Advisor, but this, this, this didn't work. And then they came up with a joint task force in, in Meduguri that was supposed to try and restrict the activities of the group. But this has only managed to push them uh, further underground. And we still see attacks that are going on. Uh, last week, there was an attack in a village in, um, mm. in, in Borno State. And so the group hasn't really um, stopped. And I think they're trying to counter the government's actions by reacting um, in the same way. What sort of effect has the the joint task force operating in the in the northeast of the country? What sort of effect has that had on the group? Well, initially, uh, well, on the group, um, it seems the group has gone further underground. But initially, the government um, claimed that they had some success, and they claimed that they had killed Abu Shekou, and which we found out later to be untrue. And um, the group's leader, yeah, the group's okay. leader. And um, um, right now, the JTF has been disbanded in the way it was set up initially. Um, 
but they're still attacks. I don't think it has really affected them negatively because even I think a couple of months ago they attacked an Air Force base in Maiduguri. Mm. So things haven't really changed. Um, we just have seen a slight lull in the activities. Uh, we just have to wait to see how exactly they react. Um, good luck, Jonathan's recently um, had a big reshuffle in his military and he's uh, changed all of the kind of top brass. And some people are linking that to um, the success or not success of the fight against Boko Haram, but others are saying it's got really nothing to do with it. But do you think um, that, 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 that we'll see a new military strategy in 2014 and how Boko Haram is, is dealt with by the Nigerian forces will change? I think the disbanding of the JTF probably is a new strategy that they have. Uh, maybe that was because of a lack of success, total success in what they hoped to achieve. But I understand that the president has given a um, a date. He expects that Boko Haram should be wiped out by April 2014, yes. he said. Mm. And so we're still, I mean, we're still yeah. hoping, or we're still yeah. waiting to see if that is possible because, I mean, he's given a lot of deadlines for other things, uh, including Boko Haram before, and that hasn't worked out. So I doubt if this will work out anyway. Yeah. Um, Virginia, what uh, the Nigerian government and security forces have got some kind of help from the outside world uh, in dealing with Boko Haram, partly because of the you know the killings and the and the domestic security threat, but also in part because of fears about becoming more transnational. Can you speak about how you know who's helping and how, and and whether we should really be thinking about it in this transnational sense or a much more regional one? Sure. I think if we look at international partners, the key ones for Nigeria are the United States and the United Kingdom. If you look at the U.S., well, Nigeria is the second largest re recipient of uh, bilateral U.S. development aid. And it has been uh, the two countries have been working together for a number of years. In particular, the Pentagon works with the Nigerian military to um, uh, provide training and non-professionalism as part of a broader package that includes uh, counterterrorism, uh, maritime security in the Gulf of Guinea and many other uh, aspects. The State Department as well also engaged with, uh, with, with Nigeria, providing peacekeeping support, uh, training, border security, and so on and so forth. Um, there has been a pretty vocal um, section of the uh, U U.S. administration asking for uh, Boko Haram to be uh, proscribed. Uh, at first, uh, in June uh, 2012, uh, the United States designated uh, Boko Haram's leader, Abubakar Shekau, uh, Khalid al-Bernawi, um, Ansaru's um, alleged leader, and another key figure, Adam uh, Kambar, as specially uh, designated global terrorist. And it was only in November 2013 that uh, the U.S. administration proscribed the, um, the whole group and also placed a very high bounty, $7 million, if I recall correctly, on the uh, Onshikau's um, head. Um, this is very uh, important, but I think probably the country uh, outside the continent with the strongest links with uh, with Nigeria is the United Kingdom because of obvious uh, historical, cultural and economic um, uh, ties. Um, the two countries have been involved in lots of uh, exchanges. Uh, Nigerian officers come to the UK to, to receive uh, training and the UK has been cooperating with Nigeria for a long time, again, on training of peacekeeping um, and so on. And I think it, most importantly, in January 2012, the United Kingdom government uh, pledged to really help Nigeria implement a, a broader, more comprehensive security um, strategy. I think the voices 
of the argument for the proscription of uh, Boko Haram hasn't been as loud in in the UK as it was in the US. Um, it, the the proscription eventually came. This was um, this was in in, in twenty thirteen, just a month after the Nigerian government had prescribed both uh, Boko Haram and his offshoot Ansaru. I don't think this should be uh, interpreted as the United Kingdom uh, saying or expecting Boko Haram to pose a direct threat to the UK, but rather this was a diplomatic move to show uh, Nigeria and the world that the UK was behind the um, the, the Nigerian effort. Um, so following on from what you're saying, there's, and also Raffaello, what, what you were saying about the difference between Boko Haram and Ansaru, um, do you think the Boko Haram should be more characterised as an insurgency or as a terrorist threat? And how should that affect how both international response and domestic response to the group? Uh, the way I like to think of Boko Haram is a, a violent uh, Islamist movement waging an insurgency campaign in Nigeria, which includes some terroristic uh, tactics alongside some criminal um, activities. That seems well. to cover all bases. <laughs> that really does. That's quite a tidy yeah, summary, yeah, Virginia. Yeah, yeah. I think you really encapsulated it well. I mean, I would say that beyond that, I think the other point to make is it's very unclear that we can really talk of this as a movement or a group. It's in a coherent sense of the word. Or rather, we can even say that it's in fact a disparate set of different groups and actors who are sort of acting in similar ways, who are acting seemingly in the same direction, but often for very different motivations, be they for hardline Islamist ideals, be they for more financial reasons, be they for local disputes that sort of decide to escalate in this direction and then get decorated up as a Boko Haram incident. So I think it's really difficult to classify in any tidy way. Um, and so I think Virginia's characterization giving a sort of quite, you know, broad description that captures all these things, I think does actually describe it quite effectively. But I mean, isn't that the problem, especially for anyone who's either trying to study the, the group or trying to work out how to respond to it, that it, it is rather disparate and that we don't necessarily know, um, you know, with how you know how it's organized and what sec what sect or what cell is doing what and and what the kind of operational capacities are Vala, how should we sort of tackle that well i agree with virginia's uh, definition of what boko haram is because it's just irregular warfare basically mm -hmm. i mean they're using um the group shows traits of of, of of, of, of an insurgent and of a terrorist group. I mean, mm -hmm. they're using terror to invoke fear in the population while at the same time trying to attempting to install their brand of government in the country. But I, I think the definition would actually depend on what exactly the strategy of the government wants. Mm -hmm. If it wants international involvement and in this whole discourse of, of war on terror, then it would term it as a terrorist group. Mm -hmm. But if it just wants something that it would handle itself, then it would call it insurgent. And But I think the government would rather prefer to call it a terrorist group because then they would get the kind of extra funding that the US would give to tackle that problem. And um, what sort of capacities do you see the group you know, now having? In, as in, it seems to have been quite contained to the northeast of the country, like you know, the big Abuja bombing seems slightly distant history now, the, the spread across um, more cities in the northwest of the country that seems to have retreated. What, what do you think the, the, the capacities are now? I think you are absolutely right. The Arab operation is more restricted. However, when the Joint Task Forces were uh, was replaced by the uh, Army 7th Division as leading the effort against Boko Haram, this actually played in favor of, uh, of the group. And I'm saying so for a number of reasons, primarily because uh, 
the joint task forces included various elements of the security apparatus, being the armed forces, the intelligence, the police, border, customs, and, and, and so on. They were really able to uh, put together a more comprehensive, very sophisticated um, offensive against the group, and also included uh, troops that were... Um, train in counterinsurgency. In in the case of the Army 7 Division, unfortunately, we have lost this uh, more sophisticated approach and we see troops that are not trained in counterinsurgency and are not trained in urban uh, guerrilla warfare. So um, why, why, did, uh, why was the Joint Task Force disbanded if it's uh, so clearly the, the joined-up approach was working and, and it had be- beaten the group back? Well, I would question if it really was working in any sort of solid way of the word. I mean, yeah, it did take an approach of having a sort of more holistic, all-encompassing approach to countering these problems. But the problem didn't go away, and arguably it got worse. And you saw, you know, the attack that Bala mentioned before against uh, the uh, airport in, uh, I forget exactly Maduguri, where it was. Maduguri. Yeah. In Maiduguri was, you know, that was quite an ambitious assault on an army air force base. Now, you're not a group that's in retreat and, you know, on the run if you're willing to launch attacks in a major city on a major air, on a military installation. So I would argue that, in fact, the JTF hasn't really been dealing with the problems. Clearly, it was structured in a way that seemed adapted and well adapted to dealing with these problems. But I don't think it was actually able to deal with them. I think if you look at some of the underlying problems, the sort of the economic disparities, you look at the hatred that there is in the north towards the south, you look at the sort of the internal tensions. And then you look at, you know, how how the government has has reacted in certain cities when they sort of come down and clamp down uh, in an area where they perceive that there is a sort of Boko Haram uh, particular sort of nest of insurgency, if you will. Um, I think a lot of that is exacerbating it you know the Nigerian government's response is very hard line um, and so you know if you look at for example in prisons I can't remember I saw some reports saying that you know there was a 50% chance if you go into Nigerian yeah. prison that you're going to actually come out alive now if you're a Boko Haram guy who's put in there or someone who is accused of being a Boko Haram guy who's in there you know it captures a lot of people. So I suspect that the JTF, well, structurally can look like it was something that may may have been the right answer to this problem I don't think it was actually really dealing with the problem and the uh, so there's that amnesty report for t- talking about the first half of last year where mm. um around a thousand people died in in custody mm. accused of being uh boko haram which you know if they all were boko haram it means that the boko haram numbers were either huge or they got um completely removed so but do you think that um this is going to basically give more fertile ground for recruitment in the same way that when uh, the group was cracked down on so heavily in 2009. It sort of led to the violent turn and the, the kind of apocalyptic ideas that um, some people have said that the group has about the idea that there is going to be this large um, fight, the state is going to come and attack them, that every time that that happens, it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. Reinforce it. Exactly, you know, it reinforces it. And I think um, the, the, the level of, of, of arrests of people who are alleged to be Boko Haram increased tremendously mm-hmm. when after the the government started its operations and and what is what happened then was young boys or young men um in the middle area who were suspected of being Boko Haram were carted off into JTF um custody and a lot of times parents of these children have tried to find them and they haven't been able to and, and I think that's where some of the rumors about um mass graves and people getting killed mm-hmm. have come out from and it increases the sympathy that people have of Boko Haram they probably don't are not crazy about the way they're going about it mm-hmm. but they sympathize with them and believe that and it sort of like you said reinforces that idea that yes the government was going to attack and now they are attacking mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i mean we were right you know to try and defend ourselves um i just want to segue with the the popular support element um 
Uh, so uh, Raffaello earlier was talking about how Ansaru, this kind of uh, people say it's a splinter group, or we'll talk about um, more more what it is. But it seems to have emerged in at least in part in criticism of how um, Chacal's Boko Haram was was going about things because it was you know supposedly meant to be undignified and it was killing it was killing Muslims. I think it was p particularly the the Kano. That, um, uh, incident with the the the, um, the multiple attacks on the same day that that led to the the split. I mean, how do you see the uh, Boko Haram, but also Ansaru's sort of um, PR campaign or attempt to articulate its message to the population? How do you see those as being different, and how do those how do those change? Uh, I don't know if they've changed much. Actually, they've just remained the same. I think. Um, the um, Boko Haram, from some of the videos I've seen, they haven't really changed their message. Mm -hmm. uh, Ansari mm -hmm. is the one that came out and said that we're not happy with the way Boko Haram has gone about these things. But, I mean, they're kidnapping people too, so I don't know whether they're really that different from mm. from what um, Boko Haram is doing. It's just that um, their focus is not so much on Muslims, it's more on foreign, uh, Ansari is more on foreign expats. Mm -hmm. um, but Boko Haram hasn't changed its, its style, it's still killing people, and um, because the people that were killed in Baga, I'm sure most of them were Muslims, mm -hmm. so, and the people that were killed in, in a small uh, fishing village just a couple of days ago too, most of them were Muslims, so it hasn't really changed anything. Yes, uh, I think even though Ansaro is Boko Haram's splinter group, I don't think we should look at the two groups as two separate entities that don't interact with, with one mm. another. I think we should uh, uh, look at them as two groups with separate leaderships by the medium and mid and lower levels, uh, fighters uh, switch across mm -hmm. as and when it is convenient. And uh, there have been uh, rumors with regard to a possible ethnic split between the two, with Boko Haram having a Kanuri-dominated uh, leadership. And there have been uh, complaints from the House of Fulani, which is the second largest ethnic group represented within uh, Boko Haram's membership. And apparently no Kanuri has ever been sent on a suicide mission. Mm -hmm. And there, were other, there are other um, indicators that suggest a pos possible tensions between the two ethnic groups. However, having said that, I still think that the two groups uh, cooperate. And there have been uh, some speculations with regard to the kidnapping of a French family in Cameroon uh, last year, claimed by uh, Boko Haram, uh, that Mansaru may have actually facilitated uh, the operation. Um, I just want to stay on this um, Kanuri Hausa thing for a moment. So, I mean, it, it does... Uh, seem that at least in terms of the the, the background conditions for um, or at least the particularity of Boko Haram at least in the past does seem to have been um, at least Kunuri based in some sense there's um, a, a, the and there's sort of lots of particularities does someone want to pick up on that and just give us a uh, listeners a kind of brief overview of why that is well, I mean, um, you talked about the House of Fulani, but I'm not sure whether it's the House of Fulani that the second largest group, because I mean, indication was that a lot of them came from the north central state of Koyi, mm -hmm. uh, which is really a different ethnic group, Igala or Igbira or something, you know. But um, um, yes, most most because it's, it started in Medjugorje, or at least it had us focused in that area, um, Yobe, uh, Boruno State, predominantly Kanuri, so it would be expected that most of their followers and most of the recruits would be Kanuri. But I mean, like Boko Haram is so um, covered in in uncertainty about exactly what it is. We really don't know who its members are. And even when government has arrested 
alleged Boko Haram members. We have got absolutely no information about who they are, where they're from. Um, the government is claiming that it wants to release um, a number of Boko Haram members. Um, it is directed that a number of Boko Haram members be released. And I think a large portion of them are from Bruno State. Mm-hmm. A couple are from Adama, mm-hmm. and then a few are from Yobi. So I think we, sh- we can assume that that's the case. But also we can assume that because the operation was based in Medjugorje, that is why most of the people that were captured anyway were Kanuri. Um, the, uh, the Boko Haram, I mean, they, you said that their messaging has been pretty much the same since 2009, but um, uh, I've noticed in videos, uh, at least in the last kind of year, that there is a, that Shikana does have a, a, a bit of a, more of an internationalist kind of braggadocio. Uh, he does sort of mention mm-hmm. Francois Hollande, mm-hmm. he does sort of mention Benjamin Netanyahu, he does mention Obama, and it's sort of... And the Queen. And, and the, the Queen, queen. right, yeah. And does this actually represent a, a, a change in outlook or perhaps as Virginia was saying there's uh, you know a merging of capabilities in some way between uh, Ansaru at the at the lower levels with with Boko Haram or is this more just uh, a slightly deranged guy who's <laughs> sort of picked up some new rhetoric which is what he's going with I, I don't know. I mean, it's it could be a case of, you know, if uh, fundamentally this is a group which is, whether it's a terrorist group or an insurgent group, or I want to classify it, it's a political, it sees itself some sort of a political entity and you want to get attention. Now, what gets attention is shouting about launching attacks in the West and doing all these sorts of things. We've seen this repeatedly with other terrorist groups around the world. If you want to get attention, you shout about attacking the West. Now, in some cases, they actually follow through on it. Um, in this case, it's unclear. You know, I mean, certainly uh, Boko Haram's decision, uh, Chicago's mentioning of attacking America and saying now is the time we're going to start doing this. I mean, do they actually have the capacity to do that? Have they done anything like that so far? We haven't really seen it. What we've seen is that they've been involved in some of these kidnappings uh, locally of sort of Westerners and, you know, the attack on the, the UN headquarters in Abuja. I mean, that was a relatively significant yeah. incident and certainly in other situations where we've seen the UN targeted, it did presage some sort of a more consistent targeting of Western targets or foreign targets in the region. We saw that in Afghanistan, we saw that in Iraq, we saw that elsewhere. Um, but whether you know him talking more about these international things is really the beginning of a sort of globalized uh, insurgency or globalized campaign. I mean, we've just seen no evidence for it so far. And so I would argue that, in fact, it's more about trying to bring their rhetoric to more public attention, to more international attention. I mean, fundamentally, if his videos are only viewed within a sort of Nigerian context, he's not really going to get the attention and what he sort of needs, which is funding and support from outsiders and recognition of their cause. This is how to sort of bring attention to himself. So I would see it more within that light than necessarily the beginning of some sort of internationalist campaign. But... You know, it does remain to be seen. It's possible that we could see the group more shifting in that direction. Uh, I agree with my colleagues here. I would also want to add that if we think of Bokram's ultimate goal, i.e. Islamizing the whole of Nigeria, I don't think it would make any sense in order to achieve this goal to carry out attacks. Uh, in the West. Quite mm-hmm. the contrary, because it would end up uh, attracting additional counterterrorism uh, efforts, which is something that, of course, Boko Haram doesn't want to happen. Mm. Um, why do you, I mean, so Boko Haram hasn't um, really focused on, on Western targets, a couple of international targets, um, as you as you said, but uh, why has it never um, tried to bring its area of focus outside of the north or outside of the middle belt? 
I think it's 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 very difficult to know exactly. I mean, it's possible it's a capability question. I mean, there's also a question of whether you know all the battlefields we see nearby where their sort of region of area region of operations is, be it up in sort of the Maghreb Sahel area or further over, sort of near Somalia. I mean, there's been reports of individuals that have been potentially linked to the group that have shown up in these battlefields. Now, does that classify as them being directed by the center to go do this? Does this mean they were there in training camps? Does this mean they drifted over because these are sort of relatively wide open space? with porous borders it's very difficult to know I mean and part of the problem is something that you know Bala mentioned before is information is very difficult to get and to know really what's accurate um, in these situations so you know things could be misreported I know that um, there was reports that they found uh, I think it was I can't remember if it was Ansaru Boko Haram um, material in Gao the Ansaru flag it was the Ansaru flag in Gao right so there's a question well how did that get there what was that doing there and on the ground um, and who found it and why was that reported and 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 propagated exactly so it's just it's all very sort of uncertain you know some of them claim that they, tra- they trained with al-shabaab mm-hmm. um, however there's been very little evidence of that that we will find anywhere else so it's all very opaque and unclear um so the this the point i would make is maybe that the group remains a relatively uh, incoherent sort of entity that sort of seems to have a, some sort of a hierarchical structure but within that i think there's lots of cells and other parts of it and tentacles of it which are very difficult to characterize as part of the sort of central command I would also add with regard to Boko Haram's inability to spread to other regions or other states in um, in southern uh, Nigeria is that there are, we have seen some reports of uh, weapons being recovered in Lagos and uh, a plot was unfolded uh, which would have involved an attack on Lagos International Airport. A number of arrests had been made in, in Lagos. I think... It's probably unlikely we are going to see a major attack in Lagos. I think the security um, services are on high alert because they know perfectly well what dramatic repercussion an attack in on, on Nigeria's uh, financial hub uh, would have. Uh, a couple of years ago, there were some speculation that Bukram may at some point try to uh, move to the uh, Niger Delta. Uh, as we know, Niger Delta has already seen lots of uh, violent um, violent problems, and the, the, the groups operating uh, there, such as the Movement for the Emancipation of the Niger Delta, have already made it very clear that they would uh, make sure that Bukram doesn't uh, find a space, mm. uh, a space uh, in the south. This space word seems um, quite important in how people are um, sort of looking at um, Islamist militant groups or, or terrorist groups, where it just seems like it follows the, the logic of space rather than any evidence. As in, um, I'm always very sceptical when I'm told that such and such a group is going to move into such and such an area just because, oh, it's an empty place and that would be sort of useful for them to. Um, uh, and that's what I, as you know Raphael was saying that we hear that you know there was one guy who maybe went with al shabaab and then he came back and he said he was there and what does that mean or the supposed links these boko haram guys were supposedly in uh mali and in northern mali when it was um uh, occupied by the uh different islamist militant groups um i, I tend to be very skeptical when i hear any of these things because it's uh, it serves the interests of everybody who is able to create a, a narrative to suggest that it is more linked and larger and all the rest of it does anyone disagree um well from my perspective i think that i wouldn't i would be i i, I would be careful not to say that there aren't any links because yeah, i think there yeah, probably yeah, are yeah. but what i would say is that maybe does this translate into a command and control a mm. sort of directed entity yeah. that's where i would necessarily be a little more skeptical mm-hmm. but i think that it is undeniable that there are connections between all these various groups mm-hmm. 
how these are expressing themselves on the ground is the part which I think is very difficult to prize out. Just going back to what Virginia said um, about Lagos and, and the attacks, the alleged attacks that were supposed to be carried out in Lagos. I mean, I mean Boko Haram, every, every criminal activity in Nigeria now is attributed to Boko Haram. Yes. So it's quite likely that whatever was going to happen in Lagos had absolutely nothing to do with Boko Haram. And because we have we have to be very cautious because we have incidents of things that have happened and initially it's been claimed that it was Boko Haram, then we find out later that it wasn't. And and the Nigerian if the Nigerian state the way it is, every criminal has come out and every criminal carries out attacks and every criminal claims it's Boko Haram. And all you need to do really and because I've heard of inc- incidences of where um, criminals go into, into banks and after they rob they come out and shout Allahu Akbar and everybody says it's Boko Haram <laughs> and that's the sort of scenario that you get when you, when, you, when, you, when you live in Nigeria So and the security forces will claim it's Boko Haram because they need to show that they're, doing, they're actually effective uh, but there's every likelihood that it wasn't and, but then well, we have to just have to be cautious until we get more information from government there's, um, we just well, we'll accept for now that it is Boko Haram but then we just have to wait and see um, so, uh, looking forward towards um, so twenty fifth. Well, we're in Nigeria from now until April twenty fifteen. It's just going to be election season. It's been election season already for a whole year, maybe a whole eighteen months. Um, what effect or what role do you think Boko Haram will play, both in the kind of level of political debate and as a as a stick that Jonathan can be hit with, but also he can say, "Look, here's some successes we've had." And also, are they going to be able to hold elections in those three states in the northeast of the country where the insurgency is strongest and where the military operations are largest? Well, I think they, they should be able... I mean, you basically just held local government elections, and so and that was a success. So I don't see any reason why government can't hold elections. But as being part of the debate, I believe Boko Haram will play a significant part. I mean, government now is claiming that the APC, the main opposition party, is an Islamic party. And because of that, because of the fear that people have of Boko Haram and what Islam could, uh, means, they are now trying to depict the APC as an Islamic party. And um, uh, one of the president's aides went as far as saying that the APC wants to install an Islamic state in Nigeria, and that's why people shouldn't vote for it. So it's already become part of the debate. Mm-hmm. And on the other hand, um, the level of violence is already increasing. I mean, Nigeria, just before politics starts, uh, the level of political violence starts to increase. Mm-hmm. And Boko Haram obviously would want to take advantage of this, and I'm sure they will carry out attacks to the run-up to the elections. And um, government claims that they're increasing uh, security um, um, outlooks, but uh, we don't know how effective they will be. Yes, I, I absolutely agree. I think we should expect uh, attacks. Also, if we look at the previous elections, Bukram have attacked uh, polling stations, mm-hmm. they have attacked political candidates. And democracy as a concept is one of the things that Boko Haram, both Shekau and pre- the original leader, um, Muhammad Yusuf, despise the most. So uh, I think we, are, sh- we should expect uh, violence. I would also say that President Jonathan's inability to uh, contain um, the, uh, the Boko Haram violence really has weakened him p- politically and all the various splits and defections uh, in his uh, own party had in further weakened his position. Um, I think, you know, I, I agree 100% with both of them. Uh, it's, you know, it, this is, uh, I, I don't see any indication or any reason why we're not going to see the group continue to launch attacks. I think we're going to continue to have a, uncla- a lack of clarity between the sort of what 
Ansari really is and how it sort of expressed itself. Um, and I think we're clearly going to see the government using this as a way um, in some situations to politic. You know, I think that the problems here are frankly very deeply rooted. And I think that uh, so far the government response hasn't really addressed them. I think in some situations, some some would argue that, in fact, it's exacerbated what was going on there. Um, and so I just I, you know, I don't think that we're going to see the violence going down. I'm sure that the group will try to target the elections in some sort of way what exactly how exactly that shapes out is unclear whether it's attacking polling stations whether it's trying to attack large targets in abuja or lagos or somewhere else on polling day it's, it's just very unclear but it would seem to me unlikely that we're going to see any sort of cessation or any decreasing in the violence um normally when people get sort of interviewed about bokaram they're always asked what should the government be doing and what's going to happen with the group in the next five years but I'm not going to ask you that because the thing that is run through what everyone has been saying is that we don't have enough information that the information we have it's all the question of trying to join dots and put it all together and come up with you know a reasonable guess of what is going on rather than something clearer so what I if anyone's interested for our listeners who are interested in this subject want to find out more um, what what do you think is the best way for going about researching and, and what are the kind of key things that you should be uh, sceptical of? What what are the, you know, how would you, how would you advise people to find out more about the subject so they don't leap to, to uh, other than, of course, read uh, re, re, re what you well, want to say. Well, I think, I think there's quite a few researchers and, yeah. you know, I'm sitting with the two of them and Think Africa Press does some excellent work on uh, these subjects as well. Um, I think that there's lots of good uh, reporting that is being done. Um, I think that the key thing is to try to look at the reports that we see coming out of Nigeria proper, out of the Nigerian press there, and try to cross-reference those against uh, more international sources like AFP, who's got a great bureau out there, um, AP, who've got some good reporters on the ground, and Reuters some of these sort of more international agencies which do get out on the ground a bit. And I think trying to cross-reference those against some of the Nigerian press sources and frankly maintaining a healthy dose of skepticism with everything you're reading is the, the only way I've been able to try to sort of parse some sort of coherence out of this. I agree with Raphael. It's, it's going to be a very tough job. Uh, um, I mean, there are a number of um, quite um, reliable um, sources that have come out of Nigeria, and and um, I think one of the heads of the civil one of the civil society organisations in Nigeria has actually had contact with um, with Boko Haram, and he seems to have an idea about how they are and the the leadership and, and stuff like that. And there's another. Um, a media person who actually had to leave Nigeria because of a risk to his life. But generally, most of the information that comes out, even the ones that come out from Nigerian press, are not as reliable as we'd hope because many of the Nigerian press don't actually go to the areas that they um, they rely on external sources for their information. And because of the nature of the divide in the country, I would say, um, some of the, um, the press is, is, is kind of biased. And so you don't get, yeah, you don't get an unbiased report. Kind so of, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's um, because uh, most of the press is is kind of biased. So you you don't get the kind of information you you'd want to. So researching Boko Haram is 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 really uh, a very tough task. Um, there's somebody else in source who's doing who's actually doing a, a very good job on 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 Boko Haram, and um, but he's had to rely a lot on some of the. Uh, podcasts and the uh, videos that they have come out with to try and determine exactly what the group is about and where they're heading and what the ideology is and things like that. <coughs> Virginia, any yeah, final no, words? I, I would absolutely agree. I think some of the uh, local press sometimes is a bit biased and they just repeat verbatim some of the press released 
uh, issued by uh, by the military or various government uh, departments. Um, there are times when foreign journalists have been allowed to follow uh, the military, uh, especially when this large uh, military operation was launched uh, in, in 2013. However, it was very clear that the foreign journalists were only allowed to ask certain questions to certain people. They were not allowed to speak to the local populations uh, and so on and so forth. So we need to be uh, very um, careful. As a piece of shameless self-promotion, I'm currently <laughs> writing a book on, on Boko Haram, so watch this space. Um, and we will link to um, everyone's work and lots of suggested reading on this page. So look around where you are now and click on things and you will have lots to read and lots, lots of things to question. Thanks. Thanks. Thank, Thank, you. You. Thank you. Thank you. This episode of the Think Africa Press podcast was recorded at SOAS Studios in London on the 23rd of January 2013. It was written and presented by James Schneider, James Wan and Sam Paranti and was produced by Sam Paranti and James Bullock. You can find our podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. And for more from Think Africa Press, please visit thinkafricapress.com, follow us on Twitter on at Think Africa Feed and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Think Africa Press.